Nope. Since I can remember, my brothers and I have been forbidden to do certain things. These things were not ordinary restrictions other kids in our classes had to deal with. They all revolved around superstitions, superstitions that our mother believed wholeheartedly to be true. Our family is Assyrian. I've learned through the years that most people have no idea who the Assyrians are, and those who do sometimes think we have not existed for thousands of years. Though that is frustrating at times, I can be objective and admit we only have ourselves to blame. While we have a small portion of our already minuscule global population that truly strive for positive change, the sad truth is most of the newer generations simply have no interest in preserving our culture, language, and history. The same cannot be said for my parents' generation. While my brothers, cousins, and family friends who are around my age were all first-generation Americans, nearly all of our parents were immigrants from various parts of the world. Most of them immigrated from the Middle East, specifically from Iran, Syria, and Iraq. That region of the world used to be Mesopotamia, and was at one point ruled by the Assyrian Empire. We may not have a lot going for us nowadays, but I always took pride in our tenacity and grit. After thousands of years, waves of persecution, and several attempts at genocide, the Assyrian people managed to keep a tight grip on their culture. And yes, that includes our lore. Though not all Assyrians are religious, especially in modern day, virtually all of those who are religious are Christian. With that said, our culture tends to contain certain beliefs that are not from the Bible or Christianity at large. For example, belief in the concept of the evil eye is quite prevalent. In addition, we are sometimes told not to shower at night, chew gum at night, or whistle at night, because doing so attracts evil spirits. There is even one belief that includes young women smothering the insides of their mouth with a drying agent before bed, in an attempt to induce psychic visions of their future husband. I know how it sounds, but I'm not making this up. With all that said, I never really paid much attention to those culture-based beliefs. Being a Christian myself, I tended to just focus on scripture. So when our mom told us about a spirit called Lamashtu, I brushed it off like all the rest. But I'll admit, it was the only one to truly send a chill down my spine. According to her story, when she was pregnant with me, she was given an ominous warning from her friend. Since I was her first child, she was ready to listen to any and all advice from her friends and family. This friend urged my mother to never sleep on her back while she was with child. Sleeping on your back not only makes you vulnerable, but also actively invites the spirit of a demonic woman to enter your home. 
This demon, Lamashtu, would make her way to the sleeping mother, climb atop her unconscious body, and choke her to death with her bare hands. Lamashtu would then steal the soul of her unborn baby and take it back with her to the underworld. Spooky shit, right? Like I said, it was the only bit of lore or superstition to even remotely fill me with dread. I'm not sure why. I knew from a religious perspective that the monsters of ancient Mesopotamia should not be anything we, as Christians, should concern ourselves with. But by that same point, as Christians we believe that the forces of God and the forces of evil precede human life. Who's to say Lamashtu is not just the name of a real entity that happened to be coined by the ancient world? Regardless, I did my best to compartmentalize the story along with the rest of them. I convinced myself it was just that, a story. It was hard to ignore it, though. My parents had two more kids after me. With each pregnancy, my mom would get more and more paranoid at night. She would demand my dad position pillows around her to prevent the possibility of rolling over. She would set hourly alarms to make sure she was not on her back. When she was in the later terms and her belly was at its largest, she would sleep less and less. Suffice to say, the energy in the house during that last month was never pleasant. I remember one time in particular, she awoke screaming. It was when she was roughly eight months pregnant with my youngest brother, Ashur. Her high-pitched screams caused me to leap out of bed in a panic. At the time, I was six years old and shared a room with my other brother, Sargon, who was four. He immediately began crying and stayed in bed while I ran into my parents' room. The door was slightly ajar, allowing me to peek inside. I still remember like it was yesterday. My mom was sitting up in bed, loudly sobbing and struggling to reclaim her breath. She began to berate my father, who had no idea what was happening for, quote, letting her fall asleep on her back. She kept demanding he take her to the hospital to check on the baby. But the thing I remember the most was she kept repeating the same three sentences over and over. She was here. She was killing me. She wanted the baby. My dad eventually obliged, and after calming down my brother and me, rounded us all up and headed to the hospital. After getting checked up, the doctors did not find anything wrong with my mom or the baby, and just chalked it up to a night terror brought on by the anxiety of pregnancy. While that makes perfect sense, that night has always troubled me. So, you can imagine how I felt when my own wife, Shamina, first became pregnant. The awful memories of that night came to me nearly every day. I might have been able to forget them and just embrace the joys of preparing for our baby's arrival, but just as Shamina entered her third trimester, 
my mother insisted she stay with us until the delivery. That was when my stress multiplied. It was as if the paranoia my mother felt created a dark synergy with my own, and we continued to make each other more and more on edge as the days went by. Thankfully, God blessed Shamina with immense patience. It felt like she was the one taking care of us a lot of the time. Her ability to calm my nerves is amazing. Those skills were really put to the test one night in particular. My mom was becoming increasingly overbearing as time passed, and was essentially hovering over my wife all the time. She would periodically come into our room at night and check on Shamina while she slept. Shamina, also being a Syrian, never seemed to mind. She understood how things went in our households. Families were tight, for better or worse, and the overbearing nature of parents was not foreign to her. But the nightly visits were even starting to creep her out. I pulled my mother aside one day and told her how we felt. I told her, as nicely as I could, that while we appreciated her help, that we also needed our space. We were still a young couple, after all. To my surprise, my mother immediately began to push back, saying I was being stupid and that we needed her there. She said she had her reasons, and of course I knew what they were. I knew she was still haunted by her own experiences, still haunted by Lamashtu. I hugged my mom, who was almost at the point of tears, and told her that I understood. I told her what I saw that night, when she was still pregnant with Ashur. She pulled away. Her eyes were wide and her mouth was agape in shock. You saw that? She asked. She had told me about the urban legend, the story her friend shared with her decades prior. But both her and my father kept that night from my brothers and me. I'm not sure if they didn't want to scare us or if they just wanted to avoid talking about it for their own sake, but regardless, it was clear my mom never wanted us to know what happened to her. Realizing that I knew must have brought those memories back and caused my mom to start crying. You don't understand, she sobbed. What you saw that night, it was not the first time. What do you mean? I asked shakily. That was the third time. She came when I was pregnant with you and again with Sargon. I felt a chill run down my spine before replying. Okay, you had the same recurring nightmare. Nothing too crazy, right? No, she exclaimed. It was not just a nightmare. Maybe it was at first, with you. I saw her and heard her so clearly, like she was right next to me. But with Sargon, it became more real. I was able to smell her. She smelled like a wild animal. 
like a wild animal that was dead and rotting. I still remember how horrible the smell was. I continued to stare at her, speechless. That was bad enough. But with Ashur, I didn't just see her. I didn't just hear her or smell her. I... I felt her. Felt her how, Mom? I felt her hands around my neck. Her sharp nails digging into my skin as she squeezed and squeezed. When I woke up, your dad kept looking at my throat. I looked in the mirror and... She stopped, her sobbing becoming unbearable. I put my hands on her face. What, Mom? What did you see? She quieted down and reached up to hold my wrists before answering. Bruises. We stared at each other for a minute without speaking a single word. I saw the absolute fear in her eyes and felt horrible. I was still not sure what to think and believe, but almost all of me was leaning towards believing her tale. I gave my mother another hug and reassured her everything would be okay. I decided to drop the issue of her staying with us. The baby was due in a month, so I figured we would suck it up and deal with it until then. For a couple of nights after the talk with my mom, things were back to normal. The only change was with me. The details that were shared with me about that night I remembered as a kid stayed with me. It was already a night that scared the hell out of me. I had no idea I had only seen a portion of it. Knowing the full truth of the incident, well, let's just say I had a hard time falling asleep. Of course, I was not planning on sharing any of it with Shamina. Why would I share a horrifying tale like that? It would have done nothing but scare her, and that's the last thing I wanted. Looking back, I still hate myself for not telling her. If I did, maybe things would have been different. About a week after confronting my mother, I got out of bed. It was yet another night of tossing and turning. I figured I would get up and try to get some work done instead of wasting time lying in the darkness. After leaving the room and heading into my office in the basement, I popped open my laptop, loaded up my work, and got some music going. I stuck in earbuds to avoid making any noise that would wake up Shamina. I worked for about an hour before I heard it. Ever so slightly, during a lull in my playlist, I heard it. Screaming. Hoping I had heard wrong, I pulled out one of the earbuds and paused my music. I was not mistaken. Shamino was screaming. I sprinted up the stairs, 
ran down the hallway and approached the slightly parted door to our bedroom. For a split second, through the slim opening, and in the scarce light that barely illuminated the dark room, I noticed the silhouette of something. I couldn't tell what it was. It all happened so quick, and before I could blink, it was gone, but I know I saw it. I bursted through the door. On the bed was Shamina, laying on her back and gripping her neck. When she saw me, she sat up and began hyperventilating. Her hands continued to feel around her neck. Shamina, what happened? Are you okay? I asked, trying to catch my own breath. It took a moment for her to collect herself enough to reply. But when she did, my blood ran cold. She was here. She was killing me. She wanted the baby. I fell to my knees and began to check for any injuries. I couldn't find any except for the bruising that began to form around her throat. As if things could get any worse, Shamina began feeling around her stomach. She looked at me with dread in her eyes. Something's wrong. We need to go to the hospital. I didn't think twice. I grabbed her coat and the car keys, walked her down the stairs, and put her in the car. On the way down, I passed the guest room my mother was staying in. Naturally, in all the commotion she had awoken. Her door was open so I was able to see her. She was sitting on the edge of her bed, rocking back and forth as she held firm to the cross around her neck. Under her breath, she was quickly repeating the same prayer in Assyrian. Her eyes were shut tight, but as we walked by, she opened them and looked at me. Her face contorted, shifting from fear and panic to absolute sorrow. I didn't even tell her where we were going or what happened. I didn't have to. We arrived at the hospital and ran in, screaming for a doctor. Shamina was immediately sent to the ER to be looked over. As the nurse assisted her into a wheelchair, I saw her eyes fall upon my wife's bruised neck and then dart back up at me. I watched as the nurse muttered something to a nearby security guard before pushing Shamina down the hall. I naturally began to follow, but was stopped by the guard. I'm afraid I have to ask you to wait here, sir. He grunted, placing his hand on my chest. I was confused for a second, but quickly realized what was happening. I suppose I should have seen that coming, but I figured I would just comply for now, and Shamina and I would explain the situation when we knew she and the baby were alright. I paced around the waiting room for what felt like forever. I finally heard my name being called and turned around, expecting to see a doctor. Instead, I saw two police officers. 
I began to panic a little, even though I knew I did nothing wrong. I approached and shakily asked if everything was alright. They filled me in on what they knew. We spoke with your wife's doctor. Can you explain what happened? I tried my best to explain the situation, to describe the scene I had witnessed. I should have known better than to think they would believe me. When they continued to stare at me with judgmental eyes, my panic quickly turned into rage. Damn it, I don't care what you think happened. Just tell me my wife and baby are okay. The two officers looked at each other for a moment. Rage turned back to panic, and then to dread. The officers turned back to me. Sir, uh, we aren't sure what happened, but your baby. I felt my heart drop to my feet. Your baby is... missing. Dread turned to confusion, and then back to rage. What the fuck do you mean missing? Is he okay or not? Sir, the doctor ran a series of tests. There is no baby inside your wife. We don't know how, but your baby is missing. That was weeks ago. I have been made the primary suspect for the disappearance of my unborn child. I'm still being investigated on suspicion of domestic abuse and battery that led to the injuries on my wife's neck and the actions that led to what the doctors are deeming a late-term miscarriage. They still can't seem to explain where the body could have gone. But I know, just as my mother knew that night, who is to blame. After all these years, after waiting patiently for decades, Lamashtu, got exactly what she wanted. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of the Nope Too Creepy podcast. If you want to learn more about the author of this story, just check the show notes and you'll find all the necessary links. If I haven't earned it already, I hope this is the week you choose to follow or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. Until next time, everybody, this is Dan David reminding you all to stay safe out there. I'll be seeing you in the next episode. Nope.